creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to an episode of the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Today on the show, we are going to do an Ask Dr. Pizza episode. We haven't done one of these in a long time, so if you're a relatively new listener, here's how it goes. Listeners send in questions, and I try my best to answer them. Today on the show, we're going to talk about what do you do with the fact that everyone only has short term attention spans anymore and you can't get anybody to pay attention to anything or sink in deep enough to get into deeper creative work. We're also going to talk about the three reasons why you might be struggling to create a cohesive style or find your style. And then we're also going to go into some time management and burnout questions. Uh, A bunch of stuff that I'm really pumped about. Can't wait for you to hear it. If you ever want to ask a question on this show, if you listen to this and you're like, hey, I got a question I'd like to uh, ask, go to creativepeptalk.com slash A-S-K. And there's a recorder right there on the page. You can start recording. We have a three-minute maximum for the question. And the disclaimer is, if you submit a question, just assume that it could be used on a future episode of Ask Dr. Pizza uh, of this podcast. All right, let's get into the show. First, quick word from the sponsors. Shout out to the sponsors. Darkboard is a new ultralight ergonomic drawing surface for your iPad. It is developed by the creators of Astropad Studio, longtime friends and supporters of this show. They created Darkboard to fix some of the most common pain points of artists like hand cramps, bad posture, being stuck at your desk. Later in the episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it, but... Before I do that, I just got to tell you that the Kickstarter is live now to fund and support Darkboard. The best rewards are going to the earliest backers, so go check it out. Don't waste any time. Go learn more now at darkboard.com. This episode is sponsored by Wireframe, an original podcast by Adobe. The show is for small business owners and creators who handle all the branding, content, and design all on their own for their business. Each episode features one small business owner and they pair them with a mentor who has built their own successful brand and also a designer to help them execute a plan to solve their problem. In the middle of this episode, I'm going to share an episode that really caught my attention, but until then, you can go search for Wireframe in your podcast player, wherever you listen to podcasts, and we're going to include a link in the show notes to make it easy to find at creativepeptalk.com on this episode page. My thanks to Wireframe for all their support.
at Renzo Sprinkle here. As an artist, I think a lot about the speed at which my art is consumed, especially in today's world where creators are encouraged to cater to short attention spans on platforms that often reward aesthetics over depth and message. What are your thoughts on creating more impactful art that takes longer to digest and stays in people's minds long after they've viewed it? Hey, Rainzo Sprinkles. I am pumped about this question because the idea of dealing with the modern short attention span is something that I have given a ton of thought to, and I think I might have something different to say about it. So first of all, and I'm not saying you're saying this directly, but I just feel like it touches upon uh, this idea, this notion that maybe we could go back to a time where people had longer attention spans. Now, I'm not a scientist (laughs) by any means or a doctor of anything but pizza, but uh, I kind of feel like there's just this general notion that there was a time, anytime there's a feeling of, can't we just go back? I always resist that feeling because I think it's easy to kind of get stuck in the zone of, uh, wasn't it better when it was like that? Wasn't it better when, uh, you know, when you could really make something and people would give it a lot of time. But the truth is, I don't know if that time ever existed. And part of that touches on this feeling of, wouldn't it be amazing if we could go back to when it was easy to be an artist or a creator for a living? And of course, as I say that, that just seems ridiculous because we all know there was never a time in human history when it was easy to make a living as a creator. I I don't think that path is ever going to be easy, but I think it's probably easier now than it ever has been, even though it is still very difficult. Now, I might touch on that in a second, and I'm not saying that you're even saying that. I just wanted to address it because it kind of, by default, made it feel like, If now people have shorter attention spans, then there had to have been a time when they had longer attention spans. And I get why that is, and there might be some truth to that, but part of me feels like uh, just everything that I've ever heard about evolution also would just say that like uh, we evolve extremely slowly. And so the hardware that we have is just like the same as it ever was for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And maybe we need to like a a hard reset every once in a while, like a, you know, one of those meditation getaways, retreats where you don't talk for a week. Like maybe that's what it would take for us to like reset the dopamine receptors in our brain so that we have a little bit more of an attention span. Maybe all that's true. However, I just want to push back and offer some thoughts on maybe what to do about the current state of how people consume and how to create in such a way that you can speak to that. So here's what I would propose. I kind of feel like maybe we are in a time where people actually give more time to creators that they know nothing about than ever before in human history. Like I would say, if you think back to the past 50 years or so, I can't think of any time where regular people were trying new forms of creative output from artists or creators that they knew nothing about like they do now online. 
Like if you think about, they were watching TV shows that were the same week in and week out. They were watching, you know, maybe a movie every once in a while. Like we have always been suspicious of wasting time on new things that we're not sure we're gonna like. Think about the last band or TV show that your best friend, who you really trust, their taste, recommended to you. Were you in a race to go try that or did it just instantly come with resistance? I think that resistance is built into our human nature of like we are hesitant to waste time because it's limited. It's the one thing that we have that we know we are going to run out of for sure, for certain. And, uh, and we don't want to waste it trying a bunch of things, right? But at the same time, that kind of pushes up against our necessity for finding new novel things that have some freshness. You know, we can't just listen to the same song a billion times and feel just as excited as when we first heard it. We do have to find some way of discovering new things, right? That's kind of how it always has been. Now, Really, I actually feel like we are still within a human era of long-form content consumption. We just do so on the things that we know we love. That's why, and I'm not making a judgment on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but that's why all the things that are being made right now are in the same intellectual property. They're the same IP. is because we have a taste for long form content. Like we want shows that we love to never end. That's why they don't. That's why there's another Lord of the Rings. That's why there's another Game of Thrones. That's why uh, Marvel never stops because the people that love it want as much, they want that form to be as long in terms of content as humanly possible. Now, is there a wall to that? Maybe. Like, you know, I think Disney is definitely trying to find if that abyss is infinite or not in terms of the kind of how much content they're creating for Star Wars and Marvel. So far, doesn't seem like it's showing any real sign of uh, a bottom of any kind, but they'll let us know. But the truth is the thing that we have low tolerance for is new, trying new things. And I think that's just normal. And so here's how I would think about it, because for me, it's like, you know, Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings fans I know won't even watch the theater versions. They only watch the extended versions. And so if so, the real challenge is there is for you to get someone to test what you have and get them to know that they like it enough to open up themselves to it and have a way of getting to that well of content. Like, are you even producing long form content? And so here's how I would think about it. What I would think is realize that people are trying new things and ask yourself, where are people discovering stuff kind of like the stuff that you make? It might be TikTok, it might be Instagram Reels, it might be YouTube. These are places where people try things that they've never tried before from creators they have never consumed in any medium, okay? And on those platforms, what I would suggest you do is go hyper niche specific. 
You know, if I was starting fresh today, I would probably start on TikTok going for the cross section, the Venn diagram of these three circles, ADHD, creators, gamers. And I'd then probably create a Twitch channel where I played games in real time and gave creative pep talks that are related to that game. It'd be something in that. I would be testing that. I'd be trying it. And you see here, what we got is we have this niche and I would hashtag it ADHD, hashtag creator, hashtag gamer, or hashtag Twitch. And then I would make little tiny bite size versions of the thing I was trying to make. Something that they can try super quickly because that Venn diagram, what it's telling you is, is that if you're all three of those things, you're going to feel like the video that you're watching, let's say you get on that TikTok it comes up on your For You page or on Instagram Reels or whatever, and you actually put in it, are you an ADHD gaming creative? If you are that specific, what you're doing is you're giving them everything that they need to know to know that this content is probably as tailored to them as it possibly can be. I feel like we get so afraid of niching down and eliminating possible fans or audience or, or whatever. But the truth is you don't want everybody in that room. Think of people that you just detest, that just disgust you. You don't want them in your long form content arena. You don't want them commenting on your Twitch. Like that's a huge problem for people that are mega famous. Like there, there are people that just go in there to mess with them and they don't want them in that room. So eliminate some people and do short form content that's hyper specific, tailored to a very particular group of people so that they, when they see it come up on their feed, they're like, I can't even believe that there is anything that targets something so specific as this. They know that gives them everything they need to know to give it a try to just take a test of that little sample of the content, make it your juiciest thing like it's the single of your album, might not be what you think is the best song on the album. I'm not telling you to make a song that you don't believe in. I'm just saying that which of them is the most accessible, put those little bits in the hyper-specific hashtags or, or, or titles in the places where people discover things like what you make, and then make sure that they are slivers, specific slivers of the long form content. So if it's a podcast, make it clips of you doing your podcast. If it's a Twitch stream, I don't do that. So I'm sorry if I'm using the wrong language. I don't have time for that. I barely have time to play video games, let alone play video games uh, as a performance. And also I'm an introvert. I want to play alone. Anyway, but if that is, if you're doing Twitch, make it a clip of the best moment or the most accessible moment for that target audience. Take it so that they can see, like, if they liked that, they have an idea of where they can find more of that stuff. And then make sure that you have an outlet, a podcast or a YouTube or a, a medium page where you're writing, whatever it is, make sure that you actually have an option for that long form content. And the great part of that, I talked about it recently, it's the sawdust principle. I'm calling it sawdust hot dogs because you're it's nasty and I apologize, but you're taking the meat of your work, which is that long form stuff and using all the byproducts as the hot dogs that you can go flog, flog on TikTok, flog, flog talk, oh, these hot dogs of just the scraps. 
Just take scraps from the long form creative habit that you have and go put them in these various places. And that way you don't have to make more creative work. You're just getting the most from the meat of your work. That's what I would do. And I think the great news is it's never been easy to make creative work for a living. It's always been hard. It's a hard road. But I think that if anything's changed, I think the one thing that's changed is talent is no longer enough. And I mean super talent. Because I think even the super talented, you know, I think about these musicians that have just, you know, the huge mega stars that we all know struggle to stay profitable if they don't get serious about the business side of what they do. You know, I think that it's actually been, it's never been easier for someone that's pretty talented, but also pretty good at business to succeed. And the lucky thing is the business stuff is actually stuff that you can just learn. You don't have to be good at it. So yeah, that's, that's my take on that. And I'm not saying that you're saying it used to be easy. I just, I, it just felt like a natural segue to say something else that I wanted to talk about. Thanks for your great question. Hi, Dr. Pizza. I have a question that I'm often scared to ask, but then here I go. I see many established artists or even artists my level have a particular set of aesthetic that they follow a particular color palette or a lettering style. And then I try to do that, but then it doesn't last for more than three months. And I often wonder if potential clients come to my page, are they going to think that this girl is just exploring herself or is she confused? And as a person, I get bored very easily. So I just feel like my whole creative journey has been just experimentation rather than landing on a particular style for myself. So any kind of pep talk is appreciated. Thank you. The question of style is a big one. I think that at some point, all artists struggle with, do I have a style? Do I not have a style? How do you find your style? It's just a huge question. It's our most popular Skillshare class. I think because of that is the, the one that's all about style. And uh, it's something I've thought a ton about because having a style was my goal from day one as an illustrator. And here's my response. I think there are really three possible issues with what's going on in your practice if you are struggling to find a style that you like. Okay, here they are. The first one is that you're just not making enough stuff. I really think that style is an emergent phenomenon. If you're not familiar with the idea of emergent phenomenon, it's the idea that everything in the universe that we know and interact with is the product of emergence, which means little things come together to create a bigger thing that has qualities that can't be found in the smaller thing in the individual pieces. So atoms come together, become molecules, molecules come together to become cells, cells come together to become tissue, tissue comes together to become organs, organs come together to become a human. And if you look at a human heart, you're not gonna find all the things that are present in a whole human because all the pieces come together to be something bigger than themselves. It's a fascinating, it's one of my favorite things to geek out on. It's just a really cool principle, but the same is true in that a bunch of people come together to create 
a corporation? Yikes. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But maybe the evilness of some corporations, maybe the good news is that that evil you can't find in most of the individuals that are part of it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting lost. But my point is that style isn't a thing. It's not a quality that you're going to find in every single piece that you make. And so therefore, you also don't need to shoehorn in everything that is definitive of your style into every piece you make, but you also can't hope that you'll just make a piece and it will embody your style. Style is not in a particular piece. It's how all of your pieces relate. It's the pattern from one piece to the next. And the other piece of that is, you know, in order to have the emergent phenomenon that is the brain, the organ of your brain, you have to have 86 billion cells. And I kind of feel like in order to have a style emerge, you have to have 86 billion creations. Not really, but you have to make a ton of stuff. I think the number one key to finding your style is just making stuff. And because the style isn't the dots along the line, it is the line that runs through it. It's the way that these things relate. I really loved having Chantel Martin on the show. And my takeaway from her work, you know, she has spent this journey making creative work, asking the same question. She wants to say, who are we as people? Who are you? She's gone on this huge creative journey to answer that question. And if you study her work, I think that you will find that her conclusion is that she went on a journey to find out who we are and she found that who we are is a journey, is that we are not the dots along the line. It's not that the time you were an illustrator, the time you were a musician, the time that you played that show, the time, like those, all the, the time that you went through a traumatic experience, like none of those dots, none of those points on the line are you. You are the life force of the timeline running through all of those things. You are the summation of all those things. And the same is true for your style. And so I think that if you don't have a style, the first reason that might be is that you're just not making enough stuff. You need to be making with a creative habit and over time there will be a through line. And, and the truth is that style might be not evident to you. And actually you might feel like every three months things dramatically change, but have you consulted with anybody that's familiar with your work? Because they might not actually see those changes. I think the changes from the, the side of the creator can sometimes feel humongous. Like sometimes I would, you know, I'd start drawing noses differently and I'd be like telling my wife, like, oh man, it's going to blow your mind. I've started to draw noses like little pointy arrows now. And she's like, oh, I thought you already did that. Oh, always did that. Like it's sometimes that the style is something that's perceived from the outside. We feel like we're chaotic. So that's another thing that I would check out. All right. That's the first reason why you might have trouble developing a style. The second one is that you haven't found the deeper level of your creative outlet or creative medium. You haven't found a new thing to spark your inspiration and challenge you in your work. Like if you think that the fun, juicy bit of making illustration is coming up with the style, if you think that that's the only level of the game, after you find your style, 
you're going to just play that level over and over and over and try to beat it even better or try to reinvent it to have fun because you're like, I've played this level a million times. So what might actually be happening is that you're not progressing to something deeper. So in the case of illustration, you might not realize like, oh, there's actually a storytelling component. And the only way you're going to find what that next level is, is if you dig deeper into the creativity and keep looking for a deeper mechanic, a bigger challenge, so that you don't just get your kicks reinventing the veneer or the, or the style or the brand of work that you create. And here's what I mean by that. Here's why I think that is. Style, in my opinion, is not the creative part of the work. Style just enables you to get more and more creative. And here's why I think that is. Style isn't uh, a creative act at all because in Alfred Hitchcock's words, style is just self-plagiarism. Plagiarism is the least creative thing that you can do is copy something. But that's exactly what style is. How do you know, you know, the person that's probably most talked about in modern times when it comes to style is someone like Wes Anderson because he has such a obvious quintessential style that's almost become a caricature and people rip it off and you know it's it's just so well known because it's so clear what his style is and all that style is is Wes Anderson copying himself is saying remember how we shot this dialogue scene in the last movie let's just do that again let's set up it set up the cameras symmetrically and, you know, do a close up of the faces and, you know, what have you and uh, color pick everything to be the same color, whatever it is, right? Let's just copy that. Let's just do that over again. That's not, style isn't creative, but, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it as a creator because what it does do is it creates space for you to focus on the next level of creativity. What it does is it means that you don't have to worry about how we're going to set up the shot. You don't have to worry about what colors to choose. You don't have to make thousands of decisions. You can just make one. We're always going to set up the shot like that. And we talked about this on a recent episode. Business writer Jim Collins says, don't make a thousand decisions when you can make one. And here's what that enables. It's the same thing that happens when people choose to wear the same outfit every day. It's just one decision off their plate so they can focus that decision-making energy on something greater. And so once you have a style in illustration, you can start spending, you know, all of the time deciding how you're going to approach that piece on what is the piece about? What's the concept? What's the, how are we going to tell the story? You know what I mean? And so you can spend gobs more time because you're not making all these other decisions. And so that's how style isn't creative. Style just enables creativity. It automates the unimportant stuff so that you can focus on the next level down. And so maybe that's part of what's happening is that you're not realizing that there's another layer to your creative practice, whatever it might be. And maybe your mission is to go find what that is so that you can get inspired and challenged to the right degree to get into the flow state next time you create, even if you're using all the same style components. And the third thing that might be getting in the way of you finding your style is that you've fallen into a kind of comparison trap. Now, here's what I mean by that. 
I think our brains are wired to detect what we're bad at better than we detect what we're good at. And I think that just is a survival mechanism. I think a lot of the ways that people think humans are broken just has to do with the fact that we adapt to an environment that is nothing like the one that we're in now. And so there are certain defaults that we have that we just have to unlearn. And the good news is we have this crazy human brain that has the potential to step back and observe. We have this level of consciousness that means that, yes, we have a brain that has adapted to be in the wild and we're no longer you know, hiding from saber-toothed tigers. Um, and that's a problem. But we also have this amazing thing that's adapted to observe what we're doing so that we can see that, hey, you're, you're hiding like there's saber-toothed tigers, but there's not. And so anyway, back to the point. The point is that I think our brains adapted to, from what I've heard from people that know much more than I do about brain science, they talk a lot about how we have adapted to be really sticky to put downs, sticky to ways that the community might excommunicate us. And we're, we're very aware and our brains are going to store those things so that we survive because we're wired to survive. But when we're talking about creativity, it's, it's about the, the higher part of your brain. It's the thriving part of your brain. And you're going to have to put a little effort in there to figure out how to focus on what you're good at rather than focusing on what you're bad at. How does that relate to style? Well, I think every creator I know is unimpressed with the type of creative energy they have, and they're hyper fixated on all the ways that they don't measure up in ways that some people value. And I can imagine you have these bands that are, let's say, a Beach House or a Tyco who produce, who they consistently are able to deliver a fresh take on the same kind of genre, mood, flavor, right? And that is something that most of us really, really love. But if you are a music critic and you are the 1% of the music listeners who just devour insane amounts of music, you need something really crazy to blow your mind, to light up that creative taste palette, right? Your creative taste buds. You need something crazier, but you also are the loudest person forming the opinions of what is good and what's bad when it comes to music. And so you might be the type of person that's like the only thing that's good in a new album is something that completely reinvents the wheel. And so I think that's why people like Radiohead and Kendrick Lamar are such critical darlings is because they are so surprising and the loudest people in the music world are the critics and critics have heard it all and they need surprised. So that's why they say these are the best. But here's the thing. If you're a beach house, you need to be okay with that and not compare yourself to Radiohead even if you think uh, we ne we're never going to get the street cred to the level that Radiohead does. And the same goes for if you're a Radiohead. Like if you're a Radiohead that's constantly, consistently reinventing the creative wheel, if you're, maybe that's where, where you're at. Maybe that the fact that you can 
create a completely new style every three months means that you're just a Radiohead. You're incredible. Do you know how hard it is to come up with a style? That's an amazing thing. Maybe you need to get into something like illustrative branding where you have to create a whole new creative lexicon and vernacular and brand for a totally different creative voice every single month, every three months. And you need to own that and quit comparing yourself to the other people that do it differently. And at the end of the day, I think you can think of it like, um, you know, there's in-house artists and there's outhouse artists. <laughs> the in-house artists are really, really valuable if they can do it all. If they're just so skilled at picking up and developing new styles, you're going to be great at an in-house team because they need you to be versatile. But if you're someone who uh, deeply has a taste for and desires to have a particular style, you can create your own brand, your own company, and you can freelance as an outhouse creator. And I say outhouse because you're out there in the muck. It's hard to be out there on your own, but if it's your thing, you're willing to do it. And so which are you, you know, if you're an in-house, you might be a radio head who's like constantly reinventing the wheel, always doing something new. That's totally fine. You just need to focus on what, what you're good at. And if you're still stuck and you're like, I don't know if I'm an in-house or an outhouse. I don't know if I'm a beach house or a radio head, like, or a radio house. Maybe I'm a radio shack. <laughs> Who knows where, where we're living, um, <laughs> everywhere in between. If you're still stuck, I'd go into, there's kind of two things that lead the creative practice. I feel like it's your taste because you want to make stuff that you're proud of. And also your creative taste buds are what inform your creative intuition. If you have a really sensitive palate for a particular kinds of flavors, then you're going to be good at recreating those recipes. And so if you love, if everything that you love is from artists with a consistent style, that's a good sign that you should be that type of artist. Uh, the other thing is process. My friend, illustrator Kendall Hillegas has really challenged me to think more about process uh, and balance it out with taste because I really, and I think that she's absolutely right that, you know, half of it might be making something you're proud of and, and, and speaking to the things that you love and wanting to be part of that. But the other half is just enjoying the process. Maybe you really do love creators that create within a specific style. However, that's just too boring for you. You just can't do that week in and week out. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. That's, that's totally fine. If you don't, if you really don't enjoy the process, be a radio head, be an in-house, uh, artist, be someone who, whose job it is, is to create something totally different every three months. Um, but you got to balance that. You got to balance the taste and the process. You can't, you can't love the process and absolutely hate the thing you make at the end. And you can't love the thing that you made at the end, but just absolutely hate the process. You want to strike a balance between those two things. Uh, and, I, and I think that if you're having a hard time finding a style, then you are probably, one of these layers is probably not working uh, as well as it should. I'm going to tell you about a new product, a new invention from the people at Astropad Studio. It's called Darkboard. Darkboard is this, just imagine this kind of large foam 
board that your iPad slots into. Now, when I was first hearing about this idea, didn't really know why you would need that. Uh, it just didn't become perfectly apparent to me on hearing the idea. But upon holding the actual dartboard, it was like instantly making sense. I sat down on the couch with it and I thought, man, this, the way that it extends the surface beyond the iPad and kind of creates its own table means that all of a sudden without cramps and the, you know, annoying contortions that you have to do to sit and draw with an iPad on your couch or anywhere away from your desk, like all of a sudden you have this bigger surface area that you can lean on, that you can position and it just instantly sold itself to me. Go check it out if you want to learn more about it. If, you, if you're uncomfortable in all the different places that you're drawing an iPad, you might just need a dartboard. Go check it out, dartboard.com to back the Kickstarter. It's live now. Go check it out. Quick shout out to Adobe Wireframe, the podcast. They have a really cool new way of doing this show that I find really attractive. And it's these short, you know, 20, 25 minute episodes where they take a business owner that has to do it all. They have to do all the social media, branding, everything, like most of the people listening to this show. And they pair them with a business expert that solved that problem before and a designer. And uh, I just found it really interesting, this episode with Chris Doe from The Future. He is talking to a business owner that is overwhelmed by how much stuff they have to do on uh, social media. And I thought that Chris's... Uh, ideas on how to simplify the things that you post and get down to the specifics was really powerful. But to get all of it, you're going to have to go check out the episode. You can find the Adobe Wireframe podcast by searching it on any podcast player you listen to or go to creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. And in the show notes of 382, this episode, you will find a link to the podcast. Go check it out. Thanks, Adobe Wireframe. Hi, Andy. It's Laura here from Bristol, UK. I'm a musician making music as pen friend. And I also make videos and podcasts. And actually listening to Creative Pep Talk has changed the course of my career over the past few years. Thank you so much for everything you do for all of us. It is massively appreciated by me. So as one busy person to another, I just wanted to know how you organize your time and what your workflows are for creating a regular podcast, for making time for your art practice and for client work. That would be really interesting to see how you schedule your days. Thank you. All right, great question. I'm going to answer it, but not because I have uh, any authority to do so. Because <laughs> I am awful at time management. You know, a big part of the way that I manage my time is I have, I've, I've worked really hard to get good people around me to help me. So my wife, Sophie, and my agent manager, Ryan Appleton, are people that are me. Uh, outsourcing what I'm awful at 
Uh, they help me prioritize things because I suck at doing that. And so if you do suck at managing your time, I would recommend doing whatever it took to get people around you that can help you a little bit with that. Uh, but the thing that I wanted to bring up was that it's completely normal to be time blind as a creator. A lot of creators are neurodivergent of some kind, ADHD, autistic, dyslexic, dyspraxic, all the different kinds of uh, brains. And the truth is, from from what I've read, uh, there is no such thing as neurotypical either. Um, but being bad at time management or and I, you didn't even say you were bad at time management, but I wanted to highlight that being bad at time management is a human thing. It's a normal thing. It's a hard thing to do. And I have this strong desire from time to time in the show to also just kind of give space to be like, hey, I suck at a bunch of things. Like right now, today, I have to have this episode done because I have a bunch of, I work with a team and we all I have to finish this at a certain time to ex realistically expect my editor to, to be able to finish it for this week. And if, if we don't finish it this week, we don't make um, the deal that we made with the, the sponsors for this week. We break that. And yeah, there's ways around it. But ultimately, I just need to get the stuff done when I said I was going to do it. And that's pretty hard. And right now, it's five o'clock on the day that, 5 p.m. on the day that I have to have this done. And I, you know, that's because I didn't manage my time well. And part of that was this time around wasn't messing around. It was maybe over committing to things because I just had to finish so many other things throughout the week before I could get to this. And so... I wanted to admit that because I wanted to drop down into this present moment and be very real with you. You know, when I go out and do talks, I always try to start my talk with something very real that I'm feeling that I think uh, the people in that room can relate to because it just helps me get really genuinely in real life present because that's what I'm doing there. If they just wanted to hear me talk, they could. there's plenty of hundreds of hours online that you can do that at any time. The difference is we're here in that room together. And the same goes for this episode. The difference between this one and all the other hundreds that we've made is that I'm recording it right now. And so I wanted to get in the right now by admitting to you, I'm talking about time management at the same time that I've clearly failed at managing my time. And sometimes that matters. And over the weekend, I had a talk in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I just started the day. I was the first talk with, hey, everybody, who's tired? Because I am tired. You know, I have, over the past few weeks, worked a bunch of weekends, extra hours, and I'm really tired. It's been tough. But one thing that's really helped me is I realized that that's normal, it's actually normal to be busy, super busy sometimes, and not as busy other times. And over the summer, we took more time off than usual, and uh, and it was good to remember, like, that's normal. It's okay for it to be slow sometimes. And the reason why I think that matters is because 
it not being normal is usually the cause for panic. And I kind of think about it like if you owned a car and you didn't know that it was normal to run out of gas, what you would feel like if it broke down on the side of the road and wouldn't start. You'd be like, oh man, my freaking car is busted. But if you knew that it's actually totally normal to run out of fuel, you wouldn't panic. You'd plan for it. And when it started to happen, when it started to go on empty, you wouldn't be like, oh man, no. You'd be like, oh yeah, I better uh, plan accordingly. And I think the same goes for burnout. Burnout's a normal thing. Like you're never going to be able to perfectly assume how long something's going to take. Getting uh, down to the deadline on the podcast that you need to create that day is totally normal. And because it's normal, that there's an extra part of you that doesn't have to panic. You have to be like, yeah, this happens sometimes. That's, that's totally normal. And so now you don't have to worry about finishing the podcast and fixing your entire life and time frame, right? And the truth is, like I said, I'm no expert at it. I can't give you all of the tips and tricks. I will tell you that the things that I know I have to do every week I create blocks of time where nothing can get scheduled in that amount of time that I have to do that thing. I also subscribe to ideas like the energy clock from athlete manager Molly Fletcher, and she just talks about scheduling out your day based on your natural rhythms. And so for me, I'm most creative in the morning. That means I'm not taking calls in the morning. I'm doing the most important creative task, the creative writing, the creative ideas, the creative sketches, concept creation, all that kind of stuff. That's going to happen in the morning because that's when my mind is most peaked for those kinds of activities. And uh, the last thing is, you know, in terms of deadlines, I always try to finish the thing that I have to complete that day first so that the rest of the day has a looseness. But all these things, they're not, um, they're not my creation and, I'm, and I have no authority on it. But I wanted to just come in and say, hey, it's normal because at least you won't waste any extra time or energy panicking that it's not. All right, that's it for another episode of Dr. Ask Dr. Pizza. Um, well, I like these episodes because I feel like they get me talking about exploring different topics that we wouldn't always explore on the show and uh, and just kind of shake it up a little bit. And I also love just hearing from all of the listeners. Uh, if you want to ask a question, go to creativepeptalk.com slash A-S-K, as in ask, as in ask Dr. Pizza and submit your question. Remember, if you submit a question, that it may actually be featured on an episode of this podcast. Thanks so much to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our jingle and theme music and soundtrack. Uh, thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Thanks to Ryan Appleton, Katie Chandler, and Sophie Miller for content and podcast assistance of all kinds. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>